You're listening to the Full 10 Yards of Brett Ball Podcast with your host, Timothy Lambert-Monk. Yes, welcome everyone to the full 10 yards at Britball Podcast, where we bring you Britball content and inject it straight into your ears. This is Britball Week, and uh, let's be honest, it's probably going to last a little while longer, uh, considering the state of affairs around the world. But hopefully we can make your next half hour or so a bit more entertaining for you. Uh, really appreciate you all tuning in. If you would be so kind and go over and head over to Apple Podcasts, give us a subscribe, give us a rating, give us a review. That would be absolutely fantastic. Do me, uh, That can be a good deed for the day, ladies and gents. Uh, you can find out about all our other podcasts and whatnot over on our Twitter at Full10Yards, but we are at F10Y Britball, uh, so go give those a follow too if you aren't doing so already. Today we are turning our attention over to the Prem South and uh, a team in the nation's capital. It's the London Olympians. We have their head coach and also a player on too, so a triple threat coming your way and it's coming up now. Okay, joining me now, I'm delighted to say we have not one, but two London Olympians. We have Rick, the head coach, and Victor, who plays on the offensive line. Both uh, welcome you in to the Full 10 Yards podcast. Looking forward to this one. Uh, Rick, we'll start with you. Um, uh, obviously, you've taken up, taken up the mantle quite recently of the head coach position. Um, just maybe want to talk about how you got into uh, American football. You know, did you play uh, as well? And obviously, how you then got into, into coaching? Sure. Um, I got into American football in 1983, uh, and that was with then the Streatham Olympians, which are the London Olympians now. I was uh, I used to go to a gym called the Olympians Gym in Streatham, which is in SW16, for those who are not familiar, in southwest London. <laughs> um, and they used to practice on Streatham Common. Uh, so I got involved, and I played from 1983 to around 89, um, on the uh, defensive side of the ball. Uh, I then went into coaching youth football with the Olympians in uh, 89-90, eventually started coaching with the seniors in 1991 and became the head coach in 95 until about 2007 was my first stint. Uh, And then I had a bit of a break and I came back for a couple of years in 2010, 2011, something like that. And uh, recently, I've been asked to come back again. So Mm. this is my kind of third stint as head coach. In between, I was uh, head coach of the Great Britain team for 17 years, uh, which which was uh, a great journey as well. So my involvement with American football, with Britball, has been from the beginning, really. Mm. Um, And uh, one day it will come to an end, but it seems... (laughs) It seems that may be in the distance a bit, but there you go. No, uh, plenty, plenty of time ahead, I'm sure. But uh, Rick, Rick what's, um, what would you say is maybe the, the one big change you've seen from when you first entered uh, kind of Britball, either from a player or a coaching perspective, to like kind of what it is today? Um, more, more players and organisations are now taking the sport uh, more seriously, paying more respect to what's needed in order to put a product on the field. And uh, by the players, certainly they're working harder away from the field in order to improve the game. Um, I think that's probably one of the biggest takes I, I get is that there's a lot, there are more athletes involved than 
previously, let's say. Sure. Sometimes we, we, we kind of get confused, but, you know, as elite athletes, which you'll find at the international level, they tend to put in a lot more than the athlete. And uh, I think there are more athletes involved. We just need to get them to become elite athletes sure. in order for the sport to become, uh, you know, more fluid. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, Victor, obviously, welcome you in as well. You've you've been with the Olympians a bit, a bit um, yeah, as, as a player for a little while. Do you maybe want to talk about what how you got into the game and, and why you wanted to get into the game and what you love what you love about it? Yeah, so American football for me, um, the advent of social media meant that my my social group was quite big. Um, it was a friend of a friend who saw my stuff on um, <clears throat> on Facebook, so I was in the gym, so I was keeping fit. So come down. This team's restarting again because at the point um, it was 2008 and two, I think 2007 season Olympians was on hiatus. There was a whole shutdown of the team but it rebuilt again in 2008. Yep. Went down to this group of guys in the park running around kind of trying out this sport I'd only ever played on the Super Nintendo. <laughs> I thought, you know what, let me give this a go. <laughs> it sounds interesting. Anyway, first session, did the session, got home the next few days I was in bits. My body was in pain. I was like, <laughs> I've been in the gym three times a week for the last nine, ten months, and I've never felt pain like this. Yeah. I'm not the right sport. Yeah. So, obviously, found the sport and haven't looked back since 2008. So, yeah, nice. it's been um, a lot of fun. Obviously, I've been a captain from quite early on. Um, yeah, and it's just the social side of the sport, again, as well as the technical depth of the sport. Is what's drawn me to the sport and kept me there, really. Sure, I've been, so, I've been, I've been reliably informed that you're obviously a member of the offensive line. Why, why the offensive line? What draws you to that? <laughs> well, I've kind of evolved into an offensive lineman. So actually, when I started, um, I came along to the team. I was about fifteen stone, six foot one, and the coaches were like, you know, I think in the back of the coaches' minds, they knew they had to build from a good O line, good defensive line. You know, it was be a good foundation for the team. So I started doing O line drills, getting into the stance, and for any player that starts the sport, that's probably one of the hardest positions and the hardest aspects of the sport to take up to get into a good effective stance. Anyway, did the start stuff, was going to be an O-lineman, and then we did some sprints towards the end of the session, everyone together, running over the bags, and one of our coach said to me, look, no, you're not going to be an O-lineman, you're too athletic, you're too mobile for your size, you're a linebacker now, so I was sent to that <laughs> middle linebacker, led the defence from there, and over the years, as my body's evolved due to my routine and ability to commit to my athleticism, I've gone from a middle linebacker to a defensive end to a nose tackle, and now... I've come back to be an O-lineman again. Um, I started at right tackle on the O-line, and now I'm, uh, <coughs> I'm trying to be a centre, but I play guard centre now. And um, I've been kicking the whole time because of my history of playing football. Sure. So I've always been able to kick and lend a hand there. So, sure. yeah. So pretty much, pretty much all, you, all you've got left to do is quarterback, wide receiver, and maybe safety. There we go. <laughs> I think I've actually filled more or less every stack on them, actually, yeah. over the years. So, what, so what's your... that's one of the things I've had. What's your favourite position out of all the ones you, you've you've been in? My favourite position out of them all? Oh, I'd have to say being a middle linebacker in a good, effective team and having a chemistry of a good defence, you cannot beat it. Knowing that you're playing against the unit that has the upper hand against you, knowing what's going to happen and still being able to stop that, yeah. being a middle linebacker is an awesome position to play. Nice one. Uh, obviously, Rick, uh, you, like we mentioned, you, you're taking up the mantle going forward into into 2020 season, if we do indeed have one. Uh, is there anything that you are looking to try and implement uh, going forward into the team, or are you going to kind of pick up where uh, the, the team left off last season? 
So my focus at this present moment in time with this group of players is understand that they're going to need to prepare away from uh, just when they're with us. They need to prepare and build themselves and get themselves ready to come into practice, both physically and mentally, for them to understand that you've got to come with a certain mindset, uh, a certain equipment toolbox that you can be effective in practice. Otherwise, you find that practice is not as fluid and as efficient as it can be because you're forever either the, the they don't understand what we're trying to do because we haven't worked that with them enough or they lose focus because it's it's two and a half hour of practice yeah. and it's on the go and that's very hard for players to stay focused if they've not been around that there's different there's different elements to develop now they've been around where unfortunate is they've been around good practices but i want to take that up another another level and keep going because once once you do that then the results on the field will start to improve sure and victor that's quite quite a good segue into looking back into destroyer kind of last season obviously four and six uh last year no wins against your neighbors and we'll get to that uh, in a bit very shortly but uh, what what do you what do you make from from last season what was uh, what was the kind of the theme of the of last season um, last season was very, very indicative of the importance of practicing effectively, practicing effectively, and being together as a team. So Olympians have always been able to attract talent. We've always had great players, and it's a bit of a curse because we always get great players. And team, other teams know that we'll always have good players, so they'll they'll be they'll be looking at us. We've always been under the microscope, but from within the camp, obviously for myself. Just seeing the way players have come in and what happened last season. The tools were there. And as Coach was just saying, you've got two and a half hours on a weekend practice to get work done. And if you do, don't maximise the way you use that time, come game day, when people are looking around asking, oh, why did that happen, why did that happen? It's going to boil down to what was done away from game day. So sure. games are one in practice. Games aren't one on a day. Sure. Go on, Karen. Now, I was going to say, obviously, you mentioned there about the, obviously the player you get you get a good kind of catchment area of of players. Is it quite competitive between you and the other London teams on on kind of who gets players, and do you see quite a lot of change in, interchange between the teams? Yeah, so London's always going to be going to be competitive. So any player in London can feasibly turn out for any other team in London. It all depends on how much they want to commit, put in the time to do in the travel, which will be practicable, be it by public transport or carpooling with another player. I know players from London that trek all the way to Sussex by the coast to play for that team. And a lot of that was because of the camaraderie friends they got there. They were happy to do that travelling. So London, anybody in and around London can play for any London team. Um, the appeal obviously is maybe the team's image or obviously how well a team's doing. And again, it's the friends thing and the community thing. So yeah, it, there's always, always an issue with the competitiveness of recruitment in the Prem South. So. Sure. Um, I'll get both of your opinion on, on this, but Victor, uh, Rick, sorry, I'll come to you first. Obviously, you know, you have a long history with the Olympians and, you know, obviously about the, the, the local area. Do, do the games between you, yourselves and the Blitz and the Warriors mean that a little bit more? Do the gate, is it easier to get the, the players, uh, what should we say, get the grip between their teeth maybe against other teams? Or is it just, uh, you know, whoever's, whoever's in front of you, you just want to put them, put them onto the floor? Well, I, I kind of uh, have seen this from both sides. I've been where, you know, the Olympians went 68 games without being beaten, winning numerous championships and people always chasing you. And once you've got that kind of winning mentality, 
it was difficult for other teams to break you down. Sure. And what, what would have been true then and is true today, whether you're chasing or being chased, is that um, you, you have to understand that it's what you do today that really matters. And yeah. if you make the game bigger than it is, then you lose focus for sure with the players because they know players at the different teams. It's my job as a coach to try to treat, te- treat each game exactly the same now that is difficult because you you know you do have rivalries and the rest of it but our number one thing this year has got to be that we cannot look at other teams we've got to look inwardly and our competition is can we play two three notches above what we have been playing Mm. can we do that and can we improve if we get into the rivalry game then the lows that come from not being successful affect you for a couple of weeks and, I, and I've got to try to avoid that with the team and that's a maturity that we need to work to um, yeah. because uh, for sure you know we're, we're not where we need to be um, but it's a building process because again being on the side where you win all those games without losing that didn't happen overnight that took three yeah. four years to build to that stage so Yes, it's it's good for the players, you know, to feel that you know they're, they're, there's a a team that they want to play, but it's got to be for the right reasons. And sure. right now, we've we've got to get it into the head of the players uh, and the organisation really that what we're looking to do is get ourselves into a position where we can be rivals. Because at this present moment in time, we cannot be rivals because for the last two or three seasons, if not more, we have not been as competitive competitive as we should be. So. Just because they're across town doesn't mean that, you know, there's a rivalry. For me, it's got to be within a point, two points of beating teams. Once we do that, then there's a true rivalry. Sure. And I, yeah, no, I, I, I get that. Um, but I think it's, it's, you know, it's fair to say that after, I think you promoted, what, in 2017, to be able to stay in the in the Prem South is, is no mean feat in itself. So like you say, obviously it's a, it's a journey and there's still steps to go get up to the top of the mountain. Um, but Victor, how, how do you how do you play, um, you know, teams? Obviously there's loads of teams that say you've got the, the Blitz and the Warriors, you know, with the interchanging of players. Do you always look to see how, you know, maybe former Olympian players that do move on, when you do play them, does that, does that, um, help you kind of face the other teams? Do you look forward to like, playing former teammates? Yeah, there's always a bit of an emotion there. There's always a bit of a drive to not come out on the wrong side of the game. But it's one of them when it starts in practice. So we're told in practice that embarrass the guy in front of you. Make him learn now. Make sure you do your best every single time you play the sport. Obviously, it's a violent sport. So sometimes when you're playing really well, there's going to come points where you're either going to really hurt the guy in front of you because he's not focused mm. or you're going to make him look really silly. And when it's friends on the other team that you face the prospect of doing that too, yeah, there's an energy, there's a buzz, but it should be every game, every player. Everyone knows the London situation at the moment and the league tables over the last few years, obviously they tell a story. And for us at the moment, the only people I can honestly say we can call rivals is probably Bristol because they ruined ruined our kind of par. We, we say six and four. Is, is the bottom line. It should really be the bottom line for us. And that's me talking from my perspective, my opinion over yep. the years with the team. Um, and yeah, Bristol beat us twice last year, which again, for us, was, it was heartbreaking. It mm. was heartbreaking. And mm. if, if we were say if anyone were rivals, yes, Bristol probably are our rivals at the moment. Obviously, the London teams will always be rivals because of location. But yep. 
in this sport, again, when you line up against anyone and everyone, they are your rivals. Simple as that. On and off the field. Because uh, yeah, the that... game's changing now. So um, everyone's trying to get a good social media profile. Yeah. People want to stream games, sponsors, all the rest of this stuff. Everyone's kind of going at it. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's that's quite refreshing, obviously, to see that uh, you are looking out just outside of obviously the London teams as well. We know, I know, but I've spoken to some Bristol guys uh, last year as well, so I know those guys pretty well. Um, let's talk about obviously the the the, the setup then at, at London. Do you, um, Rick? Do you have obviously we have you have the youth and junior teams in the Renegades? Uh, are they are they imperative into making sure that you're not you know you're not so reliant on on getting people from other teams or you know the rookie days as well? Is it is it important to for you to, to make sure that the youth and your junior teams filter straight through to, to the Olympians? I, I think that um, th- there's been a mistake made by a lot of people in football assuming that young kids who are uh, uh, basically, you know, they're young, they're young bodies, young men, uh, and because they get over the age of 18 and can play adult football, that they're ready to make that transformation. Mm. Uh, the bottom line is that if the premiership plays the way it plays, um, it's very difficult to transfer a young kid into sure. being a player unless he's going to sit on the bench for a few years um, and, you know, go away and get, not go away, but, you know, uh, is away from the main body of how you develop by yep. focusing on his development. So for me, it's important as a community thing to have a youth program to have rookie days to invite people in. Equally, it's important to me to have a vehicle and an avenue for these kids to seamlessly get better and not feel that they need to go elsewhere. And I think that's one of the challenges that a program has in, in all its resources is how do you take the time for these young people to develop? Because they ca- they cannot develop by not getting into games they need to have reps in games you can have reps in practices you can get better when you're at practice um but there's nothing actually like understanding where you need to be on game day and at what level you need to be and getting in for 10 reps or something in a game is just not sufficient for development of it it's just not we we don't have an abundance of players that are just going to sit around and wait for that opportunity as they do in the states or possibly some other markets but for us I think the most important thing to do is that we use the the youth development and the development of rookies and so on as a community awareness and introduction of people to the sport and understand that it's that and then also work alongside that how do you make sure that each year a number of players can graduate to the next level comfortably and yeah. not be turned off the sport. And because I've seen it happen over the years where, you know, he, he, the, uh, you know, a young man realizes where, you know, what kind of pool he's in and what he can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then either they get turned off or they go elsewhere. And, and, you know, people, it, it's viewed that people have different views on that. My personal view is that, yes, we should do those community things that need to be done. Yes, we should have uh, youth programs and women's football and the rest of it. But understand why you're doing it. Don't don't put a false hope out there for people. And and it's a bit like uh, you know coming into the program this year and saying we're going to win the championship at the end of the year. If you recruit this year a young man who believes the Olympians are going to win this championship at the end of the year, what is the difference between this year and the last three or four years? Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. It's not going to happen in one season. So you've always got to be honest with people. You've always got to be able to say to them this. 
we're building, we're developing, we're doing these things and show them that that's exactly what you're doing. Because again, young people, young men are not um, blind. They will be able to evaluate at the end of the season exactly what's taken place. Sure. And they will remember those words you use. So for me, the youth programs are really important, but we have to understand that youth development doesn't stop at 18, 19. You know, a young man uh, between the age of 18, 19 up to 23 can do a lot more work to get himself into a, a shape where he can play adult football properly. And and there's there's lots of young guys, you know, who, who can do that, but there's equally many more who are left by the wayside. Sure. Is it, is it fair to say then, obviously, with the rookie day, obviously being a, a Prem team, I don't know if it's the same for all Prem teams, is it fair to say that when you do have you have rookie days or you have the transitions of, of you know, the 18, 19-year-olds that they uh, are put off by how far up the, the tiers you are and then so they maybe drop down to Division or two to maybe learn their craft to be, continue to develop themselves physically and then mentally as well and then maybe come back after a couple of years because that's where they started with you guys in the youth and junior teams. Is that yeah. fair, fair, fair to say? or I, I think that, you know, my slant on that's a little bit different. I think that there are a lot of confident people around these days, and sometimes it's overconfidence. Sure. But there are a lot of confident people who are willing to go away and work hard. And yeah. I find that if you can, in your rookie days, or, or if you're young men, if you can find somebody who's going to dedicate three, four times a week to making himself better, he will accelerate and assimilate quicker. Mm-hmm. Um People want to play in the Prem. So if they go away from you, they go away, They try to go to another Prem team where they think they're going to get some more reps. And depending on the standards of what's expected from them, uh, they may or may not. So it's, it's, uh, I think people still are ambitious uh, and they're confident. And I think what you have to do is harness that and say to them that, listen, we can help you develop. We can help you with these. Here's what you've got to sacrifice. Here's what your investment's going to be. And show them that and show them, you know, how that happens. Because it, it, if you're not willing to work, it's not going to happen. And going into a lower division, um, yes, you're going to get on the field. Yes, that's going to be good for that club. But ultimately, for the fellow who wants to put in the time and effort, if he goes to a club, and again, no disrespect to any club that's been in this that is in this situation. I don't don't want to come across wrong, but if you are comfortable in the environment that you're in, if you've been ten years in Division Two or Division One and have been in the middle of the pile and have not moved or not done anything, you're comfortable where you are, mm-hmm. and therefore, the players who come will obviously help, and they will be good. But will, will it be good for the player? Will that player? become comfortable or will he still be hungry to become better and I think sometimes all of this has to be talked about you have to understand where you want to be when I played football I was a second third string football player when I decided to coach because now there was less discipline required in terms of keeping my body weight at a certain but more (laughs) discipline mentally I excelled I I refused to be number two I, I always wanted to be number one and I think we have to talk to people about this and we have to understand that being confident and being ambitious requires an investment. We live in a society that is now. I want it now. I want it now. Yeah. Well, you can't have everything now. No. No, no, totally, totally agree with that. And obviously, as epitomised by obviously the pandemic currently going on with the coronavirus, Victor, I, I assume you're uh, you're you're keeping busy at home and uh, keeping that mind sharp and keeping the uh, keeping the reps going at home. Yeah, do you know what? You have to know yourself. 
So I started the sport at 22, 23. So I was quite physically mature. I played a lot of different sports. I think, like I say, basketball, rugby. And between those sports, the discipline and the athleticism required for American football, it was within me. I just needed it bringing out and emphasised by good coaching. So I managed to start literally running around the park, development stuff, doing pursuit drills, doing the very, very basic, basic things with good coaches. And they knew the level of the players. They knew that some people knew about sport, but they got everyone together and started from the bottom and literally worked our way up. And that was proven in the way that we went first season, just missed out on playoffs, second season, unbeaten our whole year. Some might say we could have played that year in the Prem. We were that good, that confident, but we hadn't gone through the process. So in regards to uh, the way we've actually, when we finally got to the Prem, there was a group of players that had played so much and got so much game time, so much chemistry that we were ready to go. But then obviously we lost players, blah, blah, blah. And then the team itself kind of suffered a bit. But in terms of the players that came up when I played, we were drilled from the bottom up. We were explained that we were taught how important it was to do classroom, nutrition, game day, drink, hydrate. The team was run so professionally for me that I, it was a no-brainer. I came away from soccer and I thought, yep, then American football's for me. We were in the classroom, we were in the gym. We, were, we, we had physios at training. We had coaches for every three or four players. It was so good to see something run so well, even though we weren't at the top at the time. Mm-hmm. It was run so well that we knew we were going places we knew we were going places um, and yeah what Rick was saying about just kind of understanding the process and appreciating the process it's all well and good being confident uh, as a guy comes from athletics he's one of the top five fastest guys in the country he wants to go and be a premiership receiver uh, he, like Dwayne Chambers when he went to America he was one of the first ones to go over there and try American yeah, football yeah. he yeah. didn't make it because and that's, that's a whole essay in itself mm. American football you're talking about so many different roles which fit the piece of the puzzle to make a, an actual team. And it was from early on, it was emphasised that regardless of whatever position you play, you need to respect the discipline that is that sport. So, yeah, I, I was personally lucky enough to get involved at a stage where I could sit back and was confident, but humble enough to know that I'm in a new forum, learn it the proper way. Sure. So I had my injuries, uh, little kind of niggly injuries in the start, little things, because I weren't wearing gloves. So I made sure I always wear gloves. Um, different surface that we played on, they had to wear different footwear, obviously the way you fueled your body. And I learned so much on the way up. When I got to the Prem, I'd played three, four years of football. To go into the Prem playing three or four years of any other sport, you're not set up the same way. So mm. you have to respect the sport. The whole youth programme thing, again, what Rick was saying about some kids coming, getting to the age of 18 and then wanting to jump and play senior ball. It doesn't. It can't work like that. It doesn't work like that. I never got to play uni ball. Uni ball would have been a nice little baptism of fire. I got to understand the sport a bit more, run around and get a feel of what a game feels like. But when you're actually in it, when you're playing against teams from Wales or Scotland who are smash mouth, they've all come from rugby, they've been taught to play dirty, it tests you in a way that you're not ready for until you get to it. In practice, we we had fights, we kicked off and Coaches even went at it, and you got to feel that energy of, all right, you just knocked me down on this trip, I'm coming for you. Like, yeah. that that violent nature, the controlled violence of the sport is such that if you don't respect that, you're bound to, gonna, you're going to get injured, or you're going to injure someone by losing your head, losing your form, losing your technique. So, yeah, I was lucky enough to come to the team when it was, again, almost starting from new. I had the foundation of the stuff that had gone before. I experienced coaches, 
physios that were there and knew what to look for when guys were with concussions and stuff. It wasn't as big back in that back in the day, but we had coaches and even the head admin. She would take your helmet away at a game if she saw that you were ready to go. Do you know what I mean? Mm. We were yeah, looked yeah. after. We were protected all, all the way up. And I was protected all the way up to the point where all my injuries had either happened wearing the wrong boots or in the kitchen. I'm never mm. really, fingers crossed, and thank God, got really badly injured on the field because I was coached properly and I got into the sport understanding what I was taking on. So, yeah, it's really, really, really important for anyone taking up a sport to do your research wherever you go. Make sure you look around you and think, hold on a minute, like, is what I'm doing safe? Am I really enjoying this? Is it meeting my needs? So that if you want to play to an elite athletic level, you may not be at an elite team at the moment, but you can do what you can do within that setting to then come away from the field, do your research, do you watch your YouTube videos and think, hold on a minute, I haven't been told this, I haven't been shown this. And then you ask yourself why and how you can get the information you need and the experiences that you need. Match sure. fitness and personal fitness, athleticism, it's a fine, they interact so finely and so intricately that if you look at the teams that are doing well certain things will be certain certain foundation things will be there and the teams that are not doing so well you see them on game day and you think hold on a minute they haven't even got a water table or like it's, it's the it's the tiny tiny little minute details that add up to a team actually being successful and going yeah. places and obviously talking about the little things as well How, what was it been like this off season obviously we know practice due to, to stuff that's going on in the world and um, what was it been like for you have you been able to keep busy it's hard it's hard so I've started that Joe Wicks thing with my son and my missus in the morning we do a little half an hour circuit session and I must say for a big old lineman guy I'm, <laughs> I'm doing half an hour workout like that, the high intensity stuff and I'm sweating I'm thinking wow I don't even sweat like this I've got pads and a helmet on or whatever but it's nice to kind of keep the body awake. So when you stop yep. doing stuff, like for big guys, like my back starts to go, my knees start to click, getting out of the car is a little bit harder. <laughs> so this isolation thing, is this is the time for players to do the stuff away from the sport to make themselves better. And not, it's not necessarily going to the kitchen and find a heaviest bottle of water, start repping out. Flexibility, plyometrics, um, reading your playbook, watching videos on how coaches breaking down plays, this is the time to do that. Again, it's hard because I know I'm going to struggle. Next time I get into practice and I'm running two laps around the field, I'm going to feel like I'm dying. A player that's <laughs> played at 15 stone, <laughs> I've played at 15 stone and I've played at nearly 25 stone. So I understand that each position you can kind of get away with. I've been lucky enough to be able to get away with it in the Prem, but I've been able to get away with being out of shape slightly because I'm a brick wall. I'm an owner, yeah. so I can block. I've learned that I can't <laughs> kick a certain way because my belly's a bit big, so I started to toe punch the ball. You can, you can, it's, that's, that's the great thing about this sport. Everyone who respects it can do a job because you understand your limitations, you understand where you need to try and get fitter and work at things, and you can definitely do a job. When you want to be elite, you have to make sure you're consistently doing a job. When you're being watched away from the field, on the field, you need to be on point. So, yeah, this, this period of isolation is going to be a massive challenge for a lot of teams and a lot of players. But those that are committed to it and the teams that are committed to it are going to put things in place to make sure the team players don't go backwards. No, absolutely. That's, that's Rick, Rick, is that kind of a message that you've you've given to that to the whole team to that uh, the Victor's been going through to, to keep themselves busy and some, obviously some tips to keep them in shape as much as possible? Obviously, you can't get onto the field, so you can't yeah. be as, as match fit as maybe as you could be. But is that kind of a message that you've given to the rest of the team? For, for me, this is a moment to find the opportunity in all of this sadness 
And that opportunity is to educate the players on what they've got to do away from uh, the field. Uh, regardless of uh, th this situation, it's if we can get it into the players that they've got to put in that extra work while they're away, they will continue that when they come back. So yeah. we've got a partnership. We're right. We're literally in the the last throws of with uh, a fellow who uh, has done American football before. He's got his own fitness company. And he's going to individually put a program together for each one of the players that wants to do it uh, to work out four times a week. And uh, we, we as a club feel that we need to have that there as well as everything else that's available sure. for it to be football orientated. And uh, ho hopefully the, the guys will enjoy it and they will understand what they've got to do. But if you don't do the workouts, I mean, even for the couch potatoes like myself, if we don't get up and move around a little bit, you find you lose your flexibility and your movement very, very quickly. Yeah. Uh, three weeks of not doing anything uh, is going to be very, very hard. And then the other thing is that should the season start back up again, how long are we going to have before we are, we are expected to play? Because if after three weeks we start to lose our fitness, Mm. How many weeks are we going to need to get get it together? And how many weeks are we going to actually have? I mean, if the league only gives us two weeks, we're in trouble. If they give us four weeks, we're in less trouble. We're still in trouble. Yeah. You know, in my opinion, we're going to need six to six weeks, eight weeks comfortably, if we can, to get everybody in football shape. Yeah. Otherwise, we could end up with having injuries because people just haven't come in um, in the correct shape to play sure. football. No. I think no, very good point. Very good point. As you say, you can't just turn up and, and kick a ball about as if it's like it was soccer. Um, yeah, it'd be, it'd be oh. interesting. Just, just a quick one on. Do you think we'll get a season this season, uh, Victor? Well, looking at the way things are and how sensitive and uh, this, this condition is with a sport like American football, you're talking about guys in very close proximity. And if in regards to getting amateur sports started up, we'd probably be one of the last that gets cleared to play in the normal way we play because of the nature of the sport. So this year, it's, it's going to be a push in terms of trying to fulfil the calendar and let it fit in with the future calendars. I think it may probably end up rolling out till next year unless they do like a short end of year kind of little season or tournament. I don't think a full season is going to go in within the normal window. I'd love to. I'd love for it to come back because for me, this was like my probably one of my last years playing, transitioning into coaching. But yeah, yeah I I know what the sport's about. I'm an offensive lineman, and I know I, I've been playing offensive line for about four years now, and I know I'm not ready to go into a game to tackle someone. Obviously, mm -hmm. if the ball gets intercepted and you're there in the moment, you're going to bring a guy down. But in terms of tackling and the intensity that you need for defensive play, and the violence, I'm not condition for that anymore so diving into a hit and taking someone down it's i haven't read that i haven't practiced it so yeah. like for me to do that it'll probably take me about four three or four maybe five sessions six to eight weeks yeah. to actually be comfortable doing that again so in yeah. terms of the sport starting up again they can't do it hastily they have to think of the obligations of a full season and what the teams are expecting and yeah everybody's health is paramount so they have to do it properly and that's probably going to be we'll probably have to wait till next season no, absolutely. So there's no doubt coaches and, and players up and down the country, up down the UK, uh, chomping at the bit to maybe get on the field. But yes, yeah, uh, obviously with every day that passes, the, uh, the less likely it is looking. Let's have a, a couple of quick fire questions then, lads, before we get out of here. Um, what should we go with? We go with if, if Victor. If there's one, if there's one rule change you could make, what would it be on the field? 
Routines in the field. God, mate, I would have to say... Three pancakes for everyone. <laughs> Three pancakes. <laughs> um, that's, that's a hard one. Probably, oh, we don't really get penalised for celebrating anymore, so I've changed that. Um, uh, 12-minute quarters. There we 12 go, 12-minute quarters. There you go, oh. coach. So, thanks for that, assist. <laughs> And uh, Rick, obviously a bit, bit more on the coaching side of this one, but if you, if you had one million to spend on grassroots football, where would you put it? Uh, satellite academies, six or seven of them around the country where you yeah. can get all the local coaches that have the energy and eagerness to get better there and use the satellite uh, venues to attract all the young kids, get them in there. All players who are rookies and experienced, get them in there at different sessions. Women's football, get them in there at different... Anybody... It's really, really to do with experience rather than gender or, or age and stuff. Create these satellite areas where real grassroots football can get better. Sure. Uh, what, do you, what do you make of uh, the NFL Academy? I think any opportunity where a young man can go out on the field three, four times a week is a good situation. Uh, how, how it gets used in the end, well, we've just got to wait and see. But sure. any opportunity for a young man to get his education which is paramount because I've been around situations where kids have made it to the next level and the next level after that. And when I meet and greet them today, not all of them are stable in their everyday real life. American football is real life, but I'm talking about real, real life. You know, the putting the, the, the bread and butter on the table and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. So anytime their education and their sport can go hand in hand, I think that's a good thing. Cool, and 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 obviously I didn't ask which teams you guys support in the in the NFL. What what time, what teams do you support? I don't have a team. Well, I'm I'm Chris, for a different, yeah, I don't have a team. I just follow different <laughs> defenses, offenses, and so on. Fair enough, Vic. I'm a Crystal Palace fan, so I'm I'm a Philly Eagles fan. Eagles. What about, uh, are you an Eagles NFL fan? Are you a Philadelphia? Eagles yeah, yeah, fan? that's what I'm saying. So I'm an Eagles fan. I'm an NFL uh, fan. Yeah. Philly, Philly fan. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry to sorry to. This, sorry was, to this was from late. ten years back. I'm not. I'm not a show, but I'm not a glory hunter. <laughs> way back when I started playing the sport, everyone used to come at me. Who's your? So I waited a long time for any kind of glory. So yeah. Uh, no, yeah. Uh, oh, well, I'm a Dallas fan, so I'm not quite sure we can be as much, as big of friends as we were maybe before the uh, podcast time. <laughs> no, we're British. We're not that serious. Yeah, we won't. We, we, won't, we, won't, we won't talk about that rivalry. Um, okay, a couple of, <laughs> couple of fun ones then to get out of here. On um, Rick, I'll probably come to you on this one. Who would win a tug of war between your offensive line and any five defensive players? Uh, well, it better it better be the t- offensive line because they've got to be the most technical. And tug of war is a technical. Of course. So. It's got to be the old line, but uh, you know, defense better, better, better put in a good show. Fair enough, um, um, Victor. What, which uh, player position is mo- is first on the practice field? Oh, first on the practice field, I'd have to give it to the O line actually. From last year, we've always been hot on doing stuff before practice anyway, be it uh, duck walking and just warming up because we're the biggest and we're the most likely to do ourselves a mischief if you don't warm up properly. So yeah, I'll give it to my boys. Fair enough, uh, Rick. What, uh, who, which player, or which player positions most likely to forget their gum shield? <laughs> oh God, um, it's going to be somebody. Andy, <clears throat> it's going to be somebody <laughs> on defense. I don't know which one, but it's usually the same, uh, same guys again and again. But yeah, yeah. yeah. this is a this is a good cho- opportunity to name and shame, folks, and don't don't uh, don't pass it up. I, I don't hold back. Being being born in Scotland, learning how to speak the truth all the time, I don't hold back. But I have to be honest with you. 
I, uh, I uh, just cannot remember. There isn't anybody that I remember. And shaming is not something that I would to go down the route of anywhere. There's too much people can get me on. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Victor, which player is mostly li- likely to, uh, most likely to oversleep on an away game? Oh, wow. That'd have to be Ben. Everyone knows Ben was always late for the coach. Yeah, ben, <laughs> run, running back Ben was always late for the coach. Yeah, he's, the, he's the guy. There you go. Okay, there's two ways you can take this question, but I'll let you take it whichever way you want, Rick. Which player thinks they're most like an NFL player? Uh, There's not one in front of me, I have to tell you. They don't do that in front of me. (laughs) And and I don't, and and to be honest with you, when I look at the guys that practice at the moment, I don't see anybody behaving that way either. I'd be all over them if they did. Fair enough. Yeah, guys, guys are quite humble at the moment, but I have to say, in the time, the last couple of years, a young man called Montel, he came as a rookie athletics guy, studied the sport, and before practice, you'd see him rolling out like a quarterback. And he actually looked the part, so I'll give it to Montel. Shout out, Montel. <laughs> All right, last one then, fellas. Um, Victor, what's your, your favourite drill and your least favourite drill? When done properly, Oklahoma type one on one, two on two type drills are very, very good drills for the reality of being in the thick of it and having to get it done. So, yeah, modified and the right type of Oklahoma is definitely my favourite. Fair enough. And um, uh, Rick, is there, is there any punishments for, uh, for false starts? Um, I'm, not a, I'm not a big believer in punishment. There's a lot of coaches I know that will end up, you know, if you go off sides, you give us 10 push-ups or 20 push-ups. The last thing I need is wide receivers with great big chunky uh, biceps. I'm more into, I'm more into uh, at the end at the end of the session, we line up as a unit and run plays that equate to the mistakes that we've made. So it just makes you better at doing what you were supposed to be doing. Sure. So that's more more me rather than there was a time I have to tell you there was a time, but I'm I've learned over the years, you know. Yeah. No, 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 I agree. So some of the, some of the teams that I've that I've dotted around, I know you uh, like to make a big thing if someone falls starts or go off, goes offside. So uh, yeah, it's just always interesting to see uh, going around the the country and seeing what uh, kind of how you how they kind of teach and, and coach that. So it's it's very interesting. But uh, Vic, Rick, thank you so much for for coming on, folks. Really good insight there into into the London thank Olympics. Thank you very much for the opportunity. No, you're more, more than welcome. Rick, do you just maybe want to give a, a, a quick uh, gloss of 30 seconds on how people can contact you or yeah, what, what your social media or maybe come and watch a game or come and, you know, if the season comes sure. down, where you're, where you're based? Right. So it's uh, LondonOlympiansFootball.org is the website. Uh, the Instagram and the Facebook page is the same. We practice in uh, Bacon's College, which is in London, SE16, Rotherite area. They can get hold of me on headcoach at olympiansfootball.org. Anybody that wants to play or coaches who want to get better, uh, coaches who just want to get into coaching, then they can hit me up and we'll help in every way we can because it is about developing as many people as possible. Lovely stuff. There we go. Boys, thank you so much for coming on. If we do get a season, uh, obviously wish you boys all the best. I'm I'm not too far from you boys now, so maybe I'll I'll come down and try and meet you and uh, and come watch a game. You'll be welcome. Make sure, make sure, man.
Our thanks go to Rick and Vic spending a bit of time talking about the London Olympians, giving a bit of history there as well. So I hope you you guys and gals all learned something today. Uh, so we'll be back all week and probably for a bit longer as well as we go through bit more week, uh, bring, bring you uh, up and down the country a lot of different teams and a lot of different voices. So I hope you're enjoying them. Again, don't forget to give us a subscribe and follow us on Twitter at F10YBritBall. We'll be back very shortly indeed with some more BritBall content. But in the meantime, I've been your host. I've been Timothy Lambert-Monk. And in the great words of Kevin Cadle, it's bye-bye for now.